Welcome to This Conscious Life with Emina and Paul Rushton. In this modern world, where we're relentlessly plugged in, yet increasingly disconnected, perpetually doing, yet so rarely just being, processing overwhelming amounts of information, yet still searching for the truth, it's time to come up for air. Here, within this community, we share stories, rituals and recipes for a beautifully humble but plentiful life, and we intersperse these with the pilgrimages we take to visit those who have taught us profoundly powerful things about humankind. By sharing our stories, we deepen our connections and remind ourselves of all that unites rather than divides us. From holistic wisdom to slow, sustainable lifestyles, spiritual nourishment to conscious parenting, this is your weekly Conscious Living Guide, here to inspire and illuminate, connect and nurture, just as nature intended. So the purpose of this podcast is just to tell a little story, just a little kind of stream of consciousness that I wrote in a, in a quiet moment, and it's simply about how to be happy. Um, it started with some words from others, and um, this is from Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He said, the philosophy of life is this, life is not a struggle, not a tension, life is bliss, it is eternal wisdom eternal existence uh, and a, a beautiful quote that we borrow in the final chapter of our book um, this is from Elizabeth Barrett Browning she said earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes happiness itself is kind of a loose term um, which is interesting in itself because as a kind of umbrella, it's incredibly unifying. Um, regardless of our background or culture, we tend to agree that it's the thing that we want for ourselves, for our children, for the world. Uh, and it feels kind of self-evident that this should be so, um, but it still feels tricky to define. There are many words that you could use to describe happiness or that are perhaps its constituent parts. Um, which come with subtle differences in meaning, from euphoria to contentment, inner peace to ecstasy, joy to balance, fulfilment, satisfaction, pleasure, bliss. The fact that happiness seems such a natural thing to seek uh, suggests that it is a natural state of being. Uh, many ancient traditions have always suggested that it is the natural state of being. The modern age has tempted us to believe that it's something reserved only for human beings, something that's a product of our unique consciousness and that the wider life of nature is both indifferent and red in tooth and claw, you know, brutal and unfeeling. Um, and this is a bit like the idea that the whole of the universe revolves around the earth. You know, we have this, this feeling, of course, we're the centre of everything, you know, we're the paragon of animals, we're the soul keepers of consciousness. Um, but I think if you take a walk in nature, you know, you see happiness all around. You see harmony, a very a profound balance. 
You see expressions of exuberance from birds in flight, the play, the sound, the pulse, the fragrance of nature, the implicit harmony in the work being carried out and the balance in what we perceive to be, um, you know, even, even what we perceive to be its competition, you know, the exchange of energy, the sharing, the scattering. I think when we see expressions of joy in animals, we tend to think that this is different from our own joy and exuberance. We apply a different functionality. A rabbit hopping playfully is surely simply shifting excess energy from its limbs, we think, or practicing useful social techniques aimed at survival. But is this really different from those times when we humans have a welling of feeling, you know, we have a burst of happy energy and so we dance, we sing. You know, we assume that birds are singing purely in automatic and functional terms. We, we decide they're communicating the presence of predators or attracting mates, and this is often so. But birds are most likely to sing when they've eaten well when they return home and they feel replete and satisfied. They are singing for joy, they're singing out of contentment, they're singing in the day, they're celebrating life. Throughout nature, animals expend vital energy in ways that can't be justified in functional and evolutionary terms. Birds loop the loop on the way home, there's singing, there's dancing and communing. Joy, happiness is everywhere. And we see its opposite in the effects of our manipulation of nature, when we skew its story and impulse, it imbalances the whole. The cry of a cow separated from its calf is followed by the stress hormone cortisol present in its milk or meat. The whole is disquieted when its slow, timeless ordering is disrupted by, for example, deforestation, melting ice, greenhouse gases and rising temperature. We see agitation and destruction in nature, the changing of the weather, the rising of the seas, angry events and the way in which this damage is passed from ecosystem to ecosystem, tipping point to tipping point, like a bad mood, like fear. This is not vengeance, it is imbalance, disruption. Ayurveda presents a, a sort of ordering of our priorities designed to equip us to lead happy, meaningful lives. Under Ayurveda we begin with our spiritual sense of life, our personal sense of purpose and balance. This is our dharma. After this comes atta, which is prosperity, the means to sustain this life upon which we've already embarked. So our personal sense of spiritual health, our values, sense of duty and purpose, the feeling of life are first established and then we move on to the ways in which we'll fuel, fund and maintain these. Above this ordering sits the all-presiding tenet of Ahimsa. This is consciously avoiding inflicting harm or violence on either ourselves or others and this principle naturally moderates all other principles. Happiness, harmony is built into the foundations of life and is the seed from which it grows. And it will change, it will follow different directions, but it has well-established roots which allow it the nourishment to grow towards light. And this is our, this is our dharma, this is our sense of purpose. 
we can see how this is very different to the way we live in a modern developed context. Um, increasingly, values, truth, duty and purpose are not seen as personal things, but are homogenised into an assumption that we must all live by the same rigid stories of correct order. Um, God sits apart from our lives generally and quietly punishes and rewards on those same human terms. You know, they've carved into stone the pleasures we're allowed and those that are sinful. Um, we don't start with these things or with life, uh, a life of our own. They're imposed and scripted. So we start with a belief that we must first secure success. We must be educated in a standardised way. We must secure a well-paid job and financial security, adhere to a single moral and spiritual code decided upon by those most powerful, most influential and, you know, often most unwell. Um, we must amass certain possessions and assure a path of consistent material growth. And then, only then, will we be well-placed to begin to live. Then we may seek our happiness. wonderful Satish Kumar puts this beautifully in his book Spiritual Compass, which he very kindly sent us, having read our book Sattva, since they share a great deal in spirit and in subject. They both focus on the three Ayurvedic qualities of all nature and action. These are Tamas, Rajas and Sattva, and how they relate to all aspects of our lives. Uh, and I'm just loving reading it in the evenings at the moment. He says, Paradoxically, most of us seem to desire sattvic outcomes, such as beautiful surroundings, good health and a contented existence, but are attracted by the rajasic, which looks glamorous and exciting with promises of a wonderful future, with shortcuts and quick-fix methods. Thus we are anguished by our desire to achieve sattvic ends by rajasic means. For example, we want to achieve peace, but pursue the path of war. We want happiness, but follow the rajasic path of materialism, power and money. We want to achieve community cohesion, but follow the rajasic temptation of self-interest. Thus we keep sinking deeper and deeper into personal frustration and political misery. What is the solution? It is to recognise that rajasic means cannot achieve sattvic ends. In our prevailing modern Western culture, politically and generally speaking, governments measure the happiness and well-being of the people in terms of assured growth in GDP, 
uh, a country's overall economy is growing, so its people must be happier, right? Uh, and also in terms of personal material growth and monetary growth for those not hidden from view or disregarded by the same governments. People with more money are referred to as better off. These gauges, when we accept them, encourage competition, hierarchy, the business of leadership and the need to graft and grasp and battle. They encourage the contravening of ahimsa. Violence is implicit in this system. It is enormously extractive, exhaustive in its devouring of natural resources and explosive in its ecological damage. It is dog-eat-dog, dog. it's one-upmanship. Someone wins, so someone loses. A nation wins, another loses. We are entitled, they are undeserving. All is division. Happiness is expressed in terms of consumption, commodity or insurance all things for sale, and ultimately even this faulty currency is held overwhelmingly by only a few, while the rest are pitted against one another. Happiness is ever something at the end of a long road stretching ahead of us. You know, we will achieve this then, we will accomplish these things then, one of these days. Simplicity is chastised as naive, even though most most of us envision a simpler way of living as the goal at the end of it all, when we retire, when we will finally be happy. The extent to which this tying together of good living and economics doesn't correlate with actual well-being by any real gauge is staggering. When we look at levels of anxiety, for example, unity, instances of suicide, workload, stress, health, rest, time to commune and relax, nourishing food, standards of living for the majority, levels of contentedness, pleasing sensory experience, closeness to nature, inner and outer peace, clarity of mind or the extent to which we feel connected or deeply divided, our impacts on one another, generally feeling good or the opposite, joy, exuberance, contentment, bliss, this is how we know that our societal norms are broken and unfit. They are just some of the many transient myths we have adopted en masse during our human history, and they may be some of the last. This isn't an arguable point, and we need much better storytelling, especially at this moment. Ayurveda understands that happiness in its purest sense, what we call bliss or ananda, is our natural state. Bliss is a state of transcendence and profound, perfect balance, which could easily be written off as unattainable, its pursuit naive, if it wasn't for the fact that it is where our minds go if they are allowed. It's the natural direction of our consciousness. Any step away from bliss is simply imbalance. If we were to assign a direction or intent to our bodies, minds and spirits, it is this. Our bodies intend only to heal and balance. Our minds seek bliss and the most profound unity. Our spirits seek to rise above the barriers to these, and the three advance together on their own terms. This is the truth of life, bliss, happiness. It's the underlying reality behind all other things that we perceive, and every other story simply obscures it and distracts us from it.
when we speak of tools and techniques, mindsets and modes of healing, they are not things we need to promote or create happiness. They are required to allow it. To find the clarity within which we can access our true selves. When we meditate, we free our mind from all the extraneous stuff of life and simply let it follow its natural direction. As we do so, we heal and rest more, far more effectively. We find more kindness and compassion, and we start to understand that these two come naturally to us. Our true selves are happy, kind and contented. What a relief. This is sattva and sattvic living. It is living which allows us this clarity, this clear-sightedness. Our minds always seek happiness. It's the nature of consciousness. We know this because despite everything, we're still seeking it. But sometimes, oftentimes, almost always perhaps, our level of consciousness is so peripherally clouded, so distracted and harried by the stuff of living, that the mind doesn't know where to look. This is the root of addiction, the mind following the language of our present state of consciousness to find happiness. You know, drugs or alcohol or cigarettes, even excessive exercise or sex or obsessive bodily health consciousness can allow us a temporary reprieve from our imbalances and from the thoughts and worries and regrets or anxiety that can be truly torturous and that can so often be elevated by the societal noise that has us surrounded. Our minds are confused but still seeking happiness in the ways that are available. It can jump to the conclusion of heavier, more destructive, less enduring pleasures. There are many better means available which will help to elevate our consciousness and bring greater clarity, a simpler, more sustainable view of our mind's natural path. Ancient Indian wisdom has always extolled these paths. It is the purpose of yoga, it's the purpose of Ayurveda and of meditation, uh, and they have always been there. They have always been free of cost and free of damage. Uh, and here, you know, I think we find something of the crux of the matter. Um, modern developed culture, in stark contrast to our minds, does not wish us to be happy or to attain to balance. It can't if it wishes for continual, unending, assured economic growth because our happiness and well-being is a barrier to this. Modernity manufactures problems and sells solutions. It erects walls and doles out the entrance fee. So, you know, here's the great paradox in the idea that economic growth brings ever greater well-being and happiness. When we are contented, when we are at peace, when there's love and calm and unity in stillness, then we are not buying. We are not consuming, not the latest superfood, dietary plan, exercise regime, seasonal escape, body sculpting regime, the latest wonder medicine, or even books like ours. We do not need them, nor do we need a new car or phone or bigger house. And this very system collapses. The prevailing stories of our times are cultural fear, the blame placed on others, the competition, the inequality, 
the extraction, the ecological violence and exploitation all end. Every aspect of modern living and the solutions to each are connected by one thing, our consciousness. Understanding this is our first step. We do not need effort, as Maharishi says. Life is not a struggle or tension. We need to understand that happiness is simply the truth of our being and of all being. We need to find the acquiescence and equanimity to allow ourselves to directly experience it and to trust it. This is sattva. First we will begin to see and then we can start to take off our shoes. To listen to more episodes, subscribe at iTunes. And to learn more about living a more conscious life, visit us at thisconsciouslife.co. Thank you for listening.